hohonu kaki papaku uwawa. A person who often talks but never works. Inga mana inga reo himihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa. Ko marae rakraku tēnei. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, welcome to Te Ahika, where we explore Māori kaupapa and stories, giving you an insight to Te Ao Māori, or the Māori world. This week we're all about the arts. We've got music from Hidden in Melbourne and Richard Nunns, celebrated last week at the APRA Silver Scroll Awards, as well as the group recognised for their achievement in waiata Māori composition with Te Maioha. The winners this year is Te Aratoi, who are Ricky Bennett and Rewi Spragan. Te Aratoi, we're a small group of six, but um, we live on the legacy of um, Hedini and the likes of um, Richard, Brian Flintoff, John Collins, the original members, and Clem's down here as well, of Te Haumanu. And our songs are written in Te Reo Māori, and they have a, a bit of tonga puro involved in it as well. Pākehā Richard Nunns and Tūhoi hidden in Melbourne, he passed away in 2003, revitalised and played taonga puoro, that is, waiata Māori using traditional instruments. Both were inducted into the Music Hall of Fame at the awards. Uh, pondering on what one would say, with Parkinson's now I usually burst into tears. And I don't do it very prettily, so uh, this will be short. I... Uh, I pondered long and hard on the nature of the award, which I'm still hugely humbled about, or we are, I know Hurdini would be, and we're both standing there blinking our eyes and, and wondering what to say. We'll have recordings from the ceremony, as well as featuring music from the remix album Te Kutefe. That's what's coming up this week on Te Ahika. First up, for Teatiawa Anna White, the curator of the Suta Art Gallery in Nelson, working in the arts world was probably always on the cards. She was a Te Māori fellow, which meant money earned from the exhibition helped to fund her study. She completed her undergrad degree in fine arts at Auckland and Canterbury Universities, and her Master of Arts in Museum Studies at Massey University in Palmerston North. The topic of Anna's thesis was the nature of Māori curatorship at Auckland Art Gallery, Toi o Tamaki, 1999-2001. In her thesis, Anna peels away the layers, really, of what it means to be a Māori curator in a museum, the marrying up of their professional and personal role, such as their job and their iwi. Justine is with Anna Marie White, who explains further. Um, well, I was, I, well, I was born and raised and educated in Waitara, uh, o Marae, uh, Manu Kōrehi, um, and then I went to school in New Plymouth. Um, then I went to Auckland University and went to art school um, at Elam, and then transferred down to Christchurch. Uh, finished a degree down there. Anna, can we talk about your masters? Uh, yeah. How long did it take you to complete, and, and oh. what was your thesis on? Uh, masters was hard. It took me three years, or maybe even four, because um, I did it while I was working, um, and I did it on the on. Uh, Māori curatorship. So what happens to Māori people when they come to work in art galleries and museums? What's special about their jobs? How are they different from their contemporaries? What expectations are they expected to have above and beyond um, because part of your uh, professional responsibilities become personal obligations? Uh, and And also the dynamics. So you may be a Māori person working in an art gallery, yes. but you have a tribal identity. 
and you know it's uh, not appropriate for you to uh, represent all Māori, even though for others that's what you represent to them. Because of where you come from? Oh, could be. Could be. It's tribal dynamics, you know, um, like for here, um, I'm Te Atiawa, so I can work safely in the top of the south because my people are here, um, whereas it would be a little bit funny for me to go and work somewhere like Wakatane or Gisborne, you know. Um, I mean, you know, I can be welcomed and work in, worked in this area, but why isn't someone from Ngāti Porau working in Ngāti Porau? And that's the question, eh, Anna? You know, sometimes, and our own people do it, when, say, for example, a tūhoa person applies at the Ngāti Porau runanga, you know, sometimes there is that um, argument that, well, why don't they hire their own? And, and I've seen it happen in, in my career. Um, is that a professional thing or a, a personal tuki? Both. Both. Because the reason that you're in these jobs is because you're Māori. So it's an identity thing. That's a personal thing. But then it becomes a professional. You're bringing professional accountabilities to your workplace. So your workplace says to you, we want to do this. We want to achieve this. And you need to negotiate with Māori, with your community, to make that happen for us. Um, so it, it involves a huge amount of people. Um, and, like, for example, that's you know one of the problems working in museums. I'd be working with Komatua, you know, with all these amaz- you know, our most amazing treasures. Um, and I'm just a girl, eh? You know? Or, like, I'd have to go and represent our, um, the institution. In, in a particular context, and I'm just a girl, you know? So, and I'm there with all my comatos, you know, the most senior people in my community, and, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be there. But one would argue, Anna, that you have the expertise, you have the background. Uh, in a Pākehā, I've got the Pākehā qualifications, um, but in Te Ao Māori, nah. Because that's, you know, something that comes with time and... And other things, and there's a lot of compromises, like what, because museums and art galleries are Pākehā Marae. I can't say that, I've said it so many times, but people just don't get it. They are places where Pākehā express their identity, where they enact rituals. I mean, think about an exhibition opening. Everyone turns up, they all look flash, they come in, we have some speeches, um, then you have some kai, then you have, and it's like, you know, you've got to judge everyone on the quality of your kai, just like at the marae, you know, what kind of cakes you got, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, what kind of wine are we drinking? And then you do the ooh, ooh, schmooze, schmooze. You know, people go, ooh, ooh, art galleries are so hoity-toity. Well, they are because there's a ritual being enacted, you know. And then even when you look at art, you know, people look at the painting and then they walk up, they look at the label, then they step back, look at the painting again. People walk around art galleries in particular ways. It's, 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 it's a cultural thing. But because it belongs to the, the majority, people don't see it as being kind of, you know, like a cultural thing, like, like a Māori cultural thing or a Pākehā cultural thing. They don't make that equivalent. They just think it's normal everyday life, but a bit... Hoiti-toiti, perhaps? Yeah. Um, so because of those rituals, then Māori are expected to uh, participate um, according to those rules. So you make allowances. So there's pockets where Māori are allowed to be Māori, but there needs to be a um, compromise. There's always a compromise. And usually the Māori curators are the ones negotiating the compromises. Yeah, so that's a dangerous place to be. Sometimes. Can we talk more? Can we? Can you talk more about that in terms of you know, because you're a curator of of this particular um, exhibition, Anna? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
well, you've just got to make it safe for people. That's, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, you've just got to make sure that, you know, like if, if you're having a karakia, that, that there's a cup of tea at the end. You know, and sometimes the budget didn't have a cup of tea. It's that simple. Um, and you know, you're saying to someone, hey, hey, where's, where's, we, we need some cake and biscuits to finish this off. And someone's like, well, you know. That's an, well, you're right, because there is a stage of, of tapu, and then you have a, a kai which makes it noa, which, um, which, is, which is part of you know, tikanga. So have you ever encountered any, any, any problems? Um, oh, there's always problems. I mean, but that's, but that's, like, it's, yeah, the people you work with, they're awesome, and, and it's, it's awesome working in, like, galleries and museums, and it's awesome, and contemporary Māori art is awesome, um, and everyone's working in a way that, um, to make it happen, to take the opportunities that Te Māori offered to Māori. Oh, yes. We had that with, um, what was that, the 25th anniversary of Te Māori? That was amazing. Oh, Tamari is amazing. It's still going. You know, I was a Tamari fellow. You know, from the money that they raised from Tamari, they invested it and created a scholarship. So, I mean, I'm a recipient of that. You know, I'm. I'm. I work. You know, I work because of what they did, what Tamari represented, what the the space that it created for Māori to work in these places. That it became that cultural ownership was acknowledged and that. Māori have a place in You have to have Māori working in this field because art galleries and museums demand excellence. Mm. Um, and if you've got Pākehā who want to be excellent in Māori areas, that's cool. But Māori have got something, you know, they've got a way in. They know things that, you know, non-Māori just can't. And that's just, that's, that's just the truth. What is the Te Māori Fellow when you received it? Oh, the Te Māori Fellowship supports Māori to um, study museums. Um, so that supported me um, to do my master's at museum studies in Palmerston North. Through grants? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it supported other people to study overseas. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome, but it's just such a warm um, recognition, you know. Mm. I, I was just so stoked. Because Tamari was, my father was on the consultancy board um, when, you know, Tamari happened. And um, you know, for the local for for Taranaki, because he used to work with the museum there, um, and there were problems um, for some Taranaki Māori because of the involvement of the oil company as a sponsor for Tamari, and of course offshore drilling um, and the way in which offshore drilling was polluting um, kai gathering areas was, was a drama. So Taranaki was one of the few places that said no. You know, one of their um, their tongue wasn't allowed to go um, to mm. Tamari. So, but it was still awesome that we worked on it. And I remember the, the Tamari calendar. It lived in the in, in the in Dad's lounge above his chair, <laughs> and like you know, we would just keep turning it over. And it was so beautiful. The pictures were so magnificent, and we would just keep turning the calendar over every month, even though like you know, it wasn't 1984 anymore. Anna also worked for the Mokomokai Education Trust based in Hawera. The purpose of the trust was to educate the world really about Mokomokai or repatriated heads. Led by the late Dalvanius Prime, Anna explains how working alongside the quirky Dalvanius was a highlight of her career. 
And then when I was um, studying um, art, I did an essay once about um, museums and became involved with Dalvania's Prime um, and the Mokomokai Education Trust, repatriating uh, Mokomokai smokeheads from overseas. Um, so I worked with Dalvanius in the last few years of his life as a secretary on that pro- project, writing letters to the government and trying to get stuff back from overseas. Um, and so uh, at his willing, I went off to museum studies at Missy University so I could learn more about museums, so I could help um, get those, um, those tupuna back uh, better. Um, but sadly, he died during the first year of my course, so I just had to become an ordinary museum person. Yeah, I worked with him for several years. He's so awesome, and anyone who was on the Mokomokai Education Trust send, email send-out used to know about all the viruses that he used to send out, <laughs> but these huge, long emails and stuff. Uh, but he was just going hardcore, you know, right to the end. And it was really sad because no-one picked up that work um, when he um, passed away. But it needed someone with real panache to run something that was so... Um, something that is just so sacred um, and so such a dangerous field to work in. Um, but uh, I have to say, uh, Te Papa, the repatriation team at Te Papa have been doing some awesome work in the area and um, doing things really um, below the radar. Um, they're doing a lot of work there, um, but they're being very um, quiet about it and very respectful. So, yeah, it's a big problem and, you know, quite controversial. A lot of people have got a lot of things to say about it. And Delvanius had a lot to say about it, so it was, you know. Delvanius was quite quite quirky, wasn't he? Oh, the best thing about Delvanius, he had this picture. Um, I mean, his house was awesome because he had all the stuff, you know. People have been so generous to him because he was generous with his time. But the best thing was this portrait, photographic portrait that he had in his living room. And it was Delvanius with this awesome velvet suit on and his little chihuahua, because he had chihuahua dogs, um, next to um, Linda Evans from Dynasty. Oh, yes, yeah. with the grey bob. Yeah, yeah, the grey blonde, the ash, ash, ash blonde. blonde. Yeah, and Rolf Harris. <laughs> <laughs> the Kiwi dude. No, the Australian guy. Oh, no. used to, the wink, 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 wink. Yeah, the, the one that did the bucket. Yeah. Trust <laughs> British paint, sure can. Oh, yep. <laughs> So he had a photo of, of the... Dalvanius, his chihuahua, Linda Evans, Rolf Harris. He, was, he went everywhere with those um, chihuahuas, didn't he? Yeah, and he also used to have bantams, chooks, competition chooks. Competition chooks? Yeah, yeah, bantams, little baby chickens. Oh. You know? So working for several years, as you mentioned, um, Anna, with, with Dalvanius and with the, the moko mokai um, um, take, was it hard work? Um, no, it was no, it was it was good work. Mm. Um, that's the problem is is that uh, quite a lot of cultures around the world used human remains in their um, in their rituals. These things were very meaningful, very important, and museums collected them. Um, the problem now is that it's largely become unacceptable within Western cultures to they're scared of death, you know. Death is something which is, is tapu. It's put away on the edge of society. We don't look after our dead. Um, and so what happens to these objects? You know, like, for example, the Papua New Guinean trophy skulls. Those things were created because they believed that the ancestor only existed in the other world as long as it was remembered. They were remembered on earth, you know, here. So this, the skull was a memory 
So you keep you keep that spirit alive by looking after it. What happens when that thing lives in a museum drawer and people don't know about it? It's completely divorced from its culture. People have become even the people from their own culture have become scared of of these objects because they've lost the knowledge to look after them. Um, people quite often I've heard it said that only Tuhoi and um, Tainui have still got that um, preparedness to look after these objects uh, without harm in their own communities. Um, As in, what do you mean by preparedness, um, Anna? Um, having a, a tuhunga, or tuhunga of such esteem that they are not diminished through their contact with these, um, with these objects, being able to care for them properly so that they, these objects, um, being in contact with these objects do not harm people within the community um, and that they are taken care of appropriately so the appropriate um, tikanga is observed. Kia ora, Anna White, Nō Te Atiawa, and we'll be featuring Anna in upcoming shows when she'll also talk about Saffron Te Ratana and her exhibition, Pepeha. And for photos of Anna and her cute baby girl, Pearl, you can head to radionz.co.nz. I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakraku, and this is Te Ahika. Richard Nuns and Hedini Melbourne first met in the late 70s at Pipitia Marae. Hedini had been performing a concert and Richard was also there. Then, in the early 80s, their shared passion of taonga puoro saw them crossing paths a second time at Awananga, which addressed the revival of traditional Māori music using traditional instruments. That led to a friendship that would last over two decades. Both Richard and Hedini travelled, researched, composed, and lastly performed waiata together playing the taonga puro, the kuowo, the nguru, and the putorino, just to name a few. At the recent APRA Silver Scroll Awards, both Richard Nunns and Hedini Melbourne, posthumously, were inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. Hidden in Melbourne, Nortuhoi Minati Kahunganu lost his battle with cancer in 2003, but his wife Jan joined Richard Nunns to accept the award. Singer and songwriter Moana Maniopoto and Hurumono Huro presented the award. Te papa whenua, waitaha, ngaitahu, anei rā te mihi atu ki o koutou, e whakatoua nei a mātou i te neipo. O tira ki o kōrua, me o kōrua whānau ngā ringarehe o te ao puoro, te nei, te tū, te honore, te tuku atu te mihi ki o kōrua i te neipo. Nō reira, e te whānau whānui, tātou katoa i ngā pito e whao te rūma nei, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Sometimes it seems to some of us, I guess, that the music industry and music as an art form aren't uh, completely related to each other. They're like uh, distant cousins that aren't quite speaking. Um, Because success in music isn't always measured by how many units are sold, uh, how much radio airplay is generated, how flash your music video is. When music has the power to move us, when it connects us with the land, when it gives us a sense of place, a sense of self, when it reminds us that we're part of a continuum from our ancestors to our descendants, when it creates a legacy that's multi-generational and enduring, 
then that is when great music has been made. As we all know, in the many fields that we work with in music, music is a global, international language. When two languages like Chinese and Samoan, when two people are in the same room and cannot speak to one another, once they pick up their musical instrument, they can create magic the rest of the night long. And whether it is traditional or contemporary music, it is the fusion and the collaboration between many artists and the, the poetry that they create, where music can go into the soul and go into the heart of people of many walks of life. Tonight we honour two great artists. Now I first met Hidden in Melbourne when I enrolled at Waikato University as a student in 1979. If you do your maths, then obviously you'll realise I was the youngest human to ever go to university. <laughs> Hidani was known as Sydney Melbourne back then, so I liked him immediately. I asked uh, the whanau, you know, what was with the Sydney Melbourne? I mean, you know, was, was he conceived in Australia or, you know? And um, they said that their grandmother, a humble queer from Ruatuki, who had barely travelled out of there, thought that Sydney sounded beautifully beautiful when it was matched with Melbourne. So that was the tino hohonu take behind that particular name. Well, Hidani in the first class as a lecturer, 101 Māori, he wanted to try and understand the language proficiency, prof prof oh, it's my second language too, Oscar, <laughs> the language standard of the students. So he said, he asked a simple question, nor hea kwe, expecting someone to answer. Well, we were a bit fresh and green, so we all ignored him. He asked another question, another question, until it got quite embarrassing. But without rolling his eyes once, which I thought, this is a kind man, he said, let's all join together now. A, E, E, O. Anyway, I wagged for six months, figuring we'll be able to catch up soon. When I turned up, he'd gone off to Aussie on a gig. Uh, he was a bit like that because in 1980 he was starting to gain a bit of a name for himself, a bit of cult status on the alternative music scene. And there's nothing more alternative than the Nga Tokowaru Marai in Ōtaki when you're performing to 20 people, all of them hardcore critics. Uh, Hidani wanted to compose music in te reo Māori so that he could raise his children up speaking te reo. Now, if you think back to 1980, there was no iwi radio. There was no Māori television. There were no kōhanga reo. The thought of actually bringing your children up to speak Māori was extremely radical. So he decided to compose this music, and he wrote about his world, this magical, mysterious world of ngai tūhoi, of the urawedas, of the mists, of the goddesses, the insects, the birds, the water, the leaves, the kind of world that we see when we're children and we, it suddenly becomes invisible to us as we grow older. He inspired many of us. He inspired Hiniwehi to name her daughter after Rokatori, the goddess of music. He was a mean guitarist. He just couldn't play anybody else's songs. As Hiniwehi and I found out most embarrassingly at a wedding that the three of us happened to attend, the bride came charging down to us and said, oh, can you three sing a couple of songs when we sign the register? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, well, we'll do one of Hidden's and one of mine. And we got through Hidden's, sweet as, cool. Yeah, good. And then we went for mine. And as, as it was about to peak to a key change, uh, Hidden would just hit this totally stink note. Blah. 
And Hanua, he started giggling. And, um, but Harini, I loved this look. It was this sort of this little wide-eyed thing, like an innocent as. So I said, go around again, go around again. That's an A, okay? Go around again, getting ready for the meh, and bing, stink note again. Hanua, he's hysterical on the floor. Uh, Tamati Reedy and all these comatas are giving us the evil eye and going, kia kahaya hine ma. And Hirani continues to bat his eyes like, you know, what is your problem, people? So afterwards, the bride came up and she said, you know, we've all been talking about you guys because that was actually um, really an eye-opener. None of us realised that three professional musicians could balls it up so much. <laughs> so note to self, never do song with Hirani again. But he was very knowledgeable and very um, generous with his knowledge when he recorded in a recording studio, he would always say to us, do what you like with, you know, with, with what you've done. And we, I never knew whether that was because he trusted me or he just trusted every human. Uh, it, was, it was no surprise that he rose through the ranks at Waikato University, though I did sense a bit of wistfulness from him when I'd visit and say, hey, you want to come to uh, Florence with us? And he'd go, ah, oh, yeah, I've just got this... I got this job now, you know, and I'm, I'm the head of department. I said, Doesn't that mean you can go anywhere? Uh, not quite. And but he used to always say, "Well, you never know. You never know." I was introduced to Richard Nunn's after the release of my first album. Uh, Angus McNaughton and I had sampled the bejesus out of one of uh, Richard and Hedeny's uh, CDs. I'd cleared it all with. Hidney, but he failed to mention he had a sidekick who'd played most of the flutes on this particular album. So I got a lovely letter from Richard Nunn's, ethnomusicologist, listens to everything. Oh, kia ora moana, yes, loved your album Tahi, and my own uh, contribution, I was noted. Okay, right, so on the phone, ringing Nelson. After that, we started a long um, collegial relationship where he played on all subsequent three albums, and racked up a number of ear points as he actually joined us on many trips overseas. Uh, and it would have looked quite funny. Um, Richard, being you know, taller than anyone else in the band, definitely fairer than anyone else in the band, with red hair, and slightly older than anyone else in the band. We used to put a, um, a black shirt on him and a tonga and sort of hope he'd blend in a bit, but yeah, nah, nah. Uh, but, you know, back in the 1990s, the whole resurgence, these guys had just started teaching people like Horomona, and I had tried a lot of Tonga Puro players who sort of looked the part. But, you know, as a musician, the, the least you want from your other musicians on stage is that they play in tune and pitch on cue. So Richard got the nod, and uh, he always enjoyed every trip that he came away with us. He, he was the best behaved by a country mile, I'd, I'd like to say, Rachel. Uh, he would, you know, if, if dinner closed, uh, if um, breakfast was going to close at the hotel at 10.30, of course, nearly every band I know gets down at 10.20, um, Richard would come in at 25 past 10 and we'd say, hey, nuns, hurry up, hurry up, breakfast is about to close, you're going to miss out. He goes, oh, you fellas. You see that hill behind that five kilometres? I've already walked up that hill. I've gone down. I've been to three cathedrals. I played the Kuawe for an old queer in a cafe, and I've already booked my tour for the Coliseum, and I did that after I had breakfast at five. We go, you old pucker, shut up. You're making us feel so tired. It was Richard 
who people like uh, Dustin Hoffman who are hovering around the steps in Florence or something would, would spot and come up and have a chat with, as Richard would gleefully tell me afterwards. He was a former exotic dancer, apparently. That's, this is his story. But he moved, what he did with Hidani is move Tonga Puro from the minds of our elders back into our marae and our Māori communities, across into the Māori music scene by working with Hinewehi and myself and others. And then he moved Tonga Puro into the Pākehā music scene with Salmonella Dub, with Gareth Farr, with the symphony orchestras. And then he's moved it right across the world. I take my, um, I'd like to thank Rachel and the nuns whānau for letting us take your husband and father away with us and for allowing him and enabling him to share his great talents with the likes of Horomona. When I first met uh, Hidani and Richard, um, they reminded me of one of those famous songs, um, Ebony and Ivory, and um, we knew which colour Richard was. And so um, with that, from a, I suppose for me, from a man with roots going back to Scandinavia, uh, jazz background, uh, coming into the world of Māori music was a challenge. And I suppose that would be one word that I, I look at when I see Richard, is being able to fulfil challenges for, for a person with his background, engaging and challenging uh, the Māori elders and the Māori knowledgeable key people um, when, from when he saw his first kōwoo in the museum window um, to where he has taken alongside with Hirini, um, Brian and others, um, Taonga Pūro. We now hear it and see it in every corner of Papatuanuku of, of, of the world. And uh, one story that Hidini told me once was when, when one of the first times he took Richard to the Urewera. They went to Rewarewa Marae, which is in Ruatoki. And uh, a lot of the whānau from down there was wondering who this Pākehā guy was. And, and they thought, oh, yeah, we'll get him. And so they made a, a big, huge pot of teroteros, which is sheep intestines. And thought, ah, this fellow won't eat it. A uh, little Benin, five minutes later, he went back to them asking for more. And so um, with, with that, Richard, Richard Nunn's and his family, uh, I have to take once again acknowledgement to Fire Rachel because with what Richard can do with Taonga Puro here and in around the world, uh, imagine what love he shows his family. So with that, uh, tēnākui Richard. So on behalf of all of us, we'd like to thank uh, Jan and Rachel. We'd like to thank Hidani and uh, Richard, for reviving our traditional art form, that is Tonga Puro, which is New Zealand's unique body of classical instruments. And with that, me and Moana aren't the only uh, two people that want to acknowledge the great works that Richard and Hirini have done over the past 20, 30 years. Scandinavia, the 2009 
APRA inductees of the New Zealand Music Hall of Fame, representing Matuahirini, his lovely wife and his two daughters, Afaya Jan, and representing Richard Nuns, himself, his wife and his family, Know My Haramai, the 2009 APRA inductees to the New Zealand Hall of Fame. I'd like to thank APRA for this huge recognition of Hedini's work. Everything he did was about promoting Māori culture and language. His songs were about promoting his beloved reo. And then when he met Richard and they embarked on this journey of revival and renaissance of traditional Māori instruments, they had really good fun. And it was remarkably successful. I'd also, I know that Sydney would, Hidini would like me to acknowledge that they couldn't have got as far as they did without the genius and the generosity of their instrument makers, particularly Brian Flintoff and Clem Mellish. who luckily are here with us tonight. Kia ora kōrua, koutou, koto, koto, kōrua whānau. And I'd like to thank APRA again for this fabulous honour and this great evening for all of us to enjoy. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. E te kai mahi waiata, e te kai tuitui uh, waiata, kai whakatangitangi puoro, a karanga mai, karanga mai, karanga mai ne nga hau e whā, e te raupu aapra. Uh, pondering on what one would say, with Parkinson's now I usually burst into tears. And I don't do it very prettily, so uh, this will be short. I, uh, I pondered long and hard on the nature of the award, which... I'm still hugely humbled about, or we are, I know Hurini would be, and we're both standing there blinking our eyes and, and wondering what to say. And I think of the hundreds who should be there before. But it's certainly a great honour and a great, great humbling honour to, to receive this award. And uh, I might look pretty tall and large, although I'm rather bent over now, but I often think if people only knew, they think when you're out there performing and you're doing stuff that you're extremely confident and you wish you had that yourselves. I find I'm about that big in size, and a lot of the work I do now, you wonder, has it any validity? Has it, is it working? Has it uh, any gravitas? And awards like this uh, affirmation uh, uh, are a way of, of your peers affirming what you're doing, and I think that's the greatest thing that these awards do, so I am hugely grateful. I'd like to also echo Horomona and Jan in acknowledging uh, Brian particularly who's travelled so long and far with us and running the engine room of, of, 
of the, the journey, the, the project that we've been working on, and also Clem, who is genius with stone. Uh, I also would... Naturally, would like to thank APRA, but I also want to acknowledge that there are literally hundreds of kuya kaumatua who have assisted on our journey. Many of them are not with us now. Uh, I would, of course, like to acknowledge my family, and I would like to acknowledge APRA again. So, uh, thank you very much indeed. It's a huge honour. Some wonderful stories shared by Moana Maniapoto, who presented the award to Hidani's wife Jan and Richard Nuns. Hidani and Richard inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. And to see pictures of Richard Nuns and to hear samples of different Taonga Puro, you can go to radionz.co.nz, click on to Concert, and navigate to the He Ara Puro page. Over the last few programmes, Dahi Ka has featured the nominees for Te Maioha. Maisie Rika for her song Repeat Offender, My Treya for the Waiata Whakakotahi Rangatahi, and Te Aratoi for Ta Papakanga. So now let's hear who won. Kaitahu singer Ariana Tikau presented the award. Tinara koto katoa itina po fakehirehira. He mihi nui, he mihi aroha kia koto itina po. He mihi kia koto nga kai tito waiata minga kai tautoko hoki. This Maioha Award is to acknowledge our Leo Rakatera uh, and to encourage more people to compose in Te Reo Māori and to celebrate what great work is being done. So it gives me um, great pride to announce the finalists for the 2009 APRA Maioha Award. And the winner of the 2009 Epra Maioha Award Lewis Spragan and Ricky Bennett with Tapa Pakanga. Kia ora koura. Thank you very much to APRA. Um, earlier this year, APRA actually um, they did something really special with, um, with our group, Te Aratoi. They introduced us... Um, to a group in um, Papua New Guinea and also in Australia, Aboriginal Australias, and also Torres Strait. And so we actually 
composed and sung a number of songs. And actually, this song was one of the songs that we sung with um, this group from uh, West Papua, fighting for the struggle in West Papua. Um, and I acknowledge APRA, um, Anthony, and your crew. I'd like to uh, acknowledge you for um, giving us this opportunity. And actually, Brian, this flute does work, brother. So, I just picked it up off the stand. I don't know what key it was in. It sounded like a, a G minor by the sounds of it. But um, honestly, um, thank you very much. Te Toy, we're a small group of six, but um, we live on the legacy of um, Hedini and the likes of um, Richard, Brian Flintoff, John Collins, the original members, and Clem's down here as well, of Te Manu. And we started this journey a long time ago. Um, and our songs are written in Te Reo Māori, and they have a, a bit of tonga puro involved in it as well. So um, on be behalf of Te Aratoi and this, um, this Māori-looking fellow behind me, Matt Smith, he, uh, he was our sound engineer, so tēnā koe, Matt. But uh, tēnā kūta katsua, a room full of free alcohol and musicians means only one thing. Party! Kia ora tato. And I'm sure they had a good party, all right. Congratulations to Ricky Bennett and Lewis Spragan, otherwise known as Te Aratoi and Ne Waiata Tāpapakanga. And staying with the music scene, congratulations to Sam Wicks. Now, he's the producer for Music 101 here at Radio New Zealand National. He's the finalist in this year's Māori Language Awards, happening at Te Rauparaha Arena in Porirua, October 16. And that's also part of a, a symposium they're having then, Justine. And no doubt we're going to see some of these artists at Pole, Pole, Pole. E te it's time to wrap up the show for another week, but before that, let's hear from the Marketing Mara with this week's Fakapoki. Hohonukaki, Papakuoka, Fakatakuya, Fakatank, Fakatoki, Tera, Hohonukaki, Papakuoka, Korelo Tera Motetana Tamaneri, Tanata Koretaki, Kare Kahaki Temai. E, e nari uh, e hōhonu te kaki, ne? e pāpaku nā uaua, ne? Oh, uh, e pāpaku nā uaua, kāre, kāre, ne? āre māro, ne? kāre, uh, kāre kamakama ki te mahi, ne? Uh, mehemea ka i te mahi tāua i roto i te māra kāni, ko tērā momo tanata, te hōhonu kaki, pāpaku uaua, ka i roto, Kairoto i tana moe nei moe. Ne, ne, ne. E nari tae, tae mai ki te karanga, te hei hei ki te kai. Ne, pēra i atātau i te pō nei. Koia te mea tuatahi katai ki te tēpu. Next month, we'll be profiling the recipients at the recent Te Wakatoi Awards. Tune in, we've got profiles on Te Wharehuia Mulroi, Meratamita and Witihi Maira. I tēnei wiki, i mate tētahi manu tiori ori rongonui o te ao. On Thursday, Sir Howard Morrison passed away. He was one of the previous recipients of a Te Wakatoi Award, as well as many other awards around the country, around the nation, around the world. Nō reira, tēnei te mihiatu ki te whānau pani. He mihi tēnei ki nā kai kōrero mō tēnei wiki. Ki nā kai whakahaere mihini, tēnei te mihi ki a koutou. Hoki mai anō hei tērā wiki e te iwi. 
Modi order.